Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 339 for December 5th, 2023. Tonight we're going to discuss VR Dev Showcase and Steam VR Fest. A forest in a ghost city in a country built by China. Wikipedia knows what you've been viewing. The side gig for crashing a plane for YouTube. A mouse that knows a guy. A dying late gold rush. Rocket parts. AI and the prosthetic hands. Rocking around the Christmas tree. And the Fiat 500E. Is it powered by a 9 volt? Hello, hello, I am Merwad. That is hometown.com and there's a sentient AI somewhere. Where? Over here? Oh, up there. Up there? I hear. Wait, right over there. here? Right there. And the wiggly squiggly. Right here? That thing. Right here. Right there. Yes. Hello, sentient AI. How are you? I'm doing great. Hello, Mayor Watt. Not unwell, huh? Okay. Oh, you know what? I messed something up. I didn't activate something that I need to activate. That's okay. We'll, we'll activate it. It'll take a little bit of time. Anyway, um, we've already got 10 of our articles going and we have some music playing. Hopefully you can hear it. It's usually pretty subtle in the playback for us. It's a little bit louder, but maybe for you, it's okay. Um, let's get going. What say ye? Uh, not Kanye, go. you as in the sentient AI, not ye as in Kanye. I don't think Kanye wants to do the show. I don't know though. He might be bored nowadays. He's just kind of hanging out, being kind of whatever he is. You know, he's being Kanye. <laughs> I'm when, I'm not familiar with Kanye, so I don't know what Kanye is up to. When you trend towards being a billionaire, you know get a little uh... anyway let's get into it still wow what is going on that was wild okay so the first article is over on the reality hacker channel over at hometown.com it is a social network news aggregation site that has six main categories and 50 subcategories podcast, YouTube channel, uh, Discord, uh, uh, Patreon. Um, oh, TikTok. I haven't said TikTok in a while, but I haven't added anything to TikTok in a long time. I should. I'm yes, a slacker. You should. I'm a slacker. I'm, I'm shaking hands and kissing babies or kissing babies and well, no kissing hands and shaking. Babies? No, that's wrong. <sighs> anyway, I'll stick to the articles. That's where it's safe. Upload VR Winter Showcase. Dozens of VR devs share the latest on IGN and SideQuest. On December 6th, kicking off a, at 10 a.m. Pacific simulcast on both IGN and Upload VR. I'll be in a meeting. The Upload VR Winter Showcase will feature a jam-packed series of world premiere eye-catching entrees entries Let's make um, me hungry. for new and updated VR games. That's right. What's for dinner? 
VR. Let me throw this into the chat so you can follow the link through Ometown. Oh, my cuffs have metal buttons and I just slid it across my desk and I can hear it in the mic. Oh no. Yeah, not good. I'll try to avoid that. Anyway, uploadvr.com is the source. Ian Hamilton is the author of the article. They have a video, 10 a.m. Pacific. So yeah, I'll be in a meeting, um, December 6th. So I'll try and get this posted tonight. If you're not in chat, hopefully you'll, I don't know, get this through osmosis or you'll feel a ripple in the forest. I don't know. So there's going to be a bunch of games. Um, this is actually steam VR fest is going on right now from December 4th to the 11th. So if you're really into VR, then go over to steam and you can get your own games at discounts. There's all kinds of stuff, action adventure. I'm looking at steam right now, action adventure, casual RPG simulation, strategy, sports and racing. There's a free demos catalog and upcoming category. Um, yeah, this will be, this will be great. If you're Sounds into like VR. a lot of fun. Yeah. Up here. Uh, no, um, so this is our chance to shine a spotlight on a lot of really interesting work in VR in a format where we can highlight the depth of work being done to bring breakthrough VR experiences to people everywhere. I, I'm really looking forward to room scale uh, VR so that you can actually walk around um, and it's much more immersive instead of just sitting in a at a desk. You actually get up and move around. Because like boxing games and stuff like that, you don't have to be standing. You can just sit there because you're in virtual space and the controllers are in your hands and you're not actually doing anything. But in room scale VR, you can actually do jumps and stuff like that. And your movement based on your headset actually facilitates it. It's pretty cool. That sounds a little dangerous. Yeah, that's why you try and get a separate room. Hmm, where could there be a separate room in the mayoral mansion? Yeah, anyway, there's more information over at uploadvr.com, one of my favorite VR sites. Go check it out. The link is in chat right now. Let's keep going. This next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel Forest City inside Malaysia's Chinese built ghost city. Says built during the Chinese property boom, Forest City is a stark reminder of the crisis in the sector today. I'm not sure what the crisis in the sector is. Building sector? So here's the situation. This says Forest City was meant to house 1 million people, but only a handful of units are occupied. This is an image from Getty Images. So I don't know what the current status is of this. Um, but this is an article over at BBC.com. Nick Marsh is the author. And this was actually a whole, how do I, how, how do I, let me ponder this real quick while I copy and paste this into the chat. There you go, folks. So back four, five, six, ten 10 years ago, there was a lot of conspiracy being discussed about how China's economy is basically negative or collapsed or being manipulated somehow because there's this massive amount of growth, 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 right? And 
I sat there and I said, well, they're building stuff nonstop. So this is like churning money into the economy, but it's owned by the CCP. So the money's just kind of circling around and they're showing massive growth because things are being built and blah, blah, blah. So I had somebody say, well, you know, they have an intent to move everybody from the countryside into the, the cities and they can't do that if the cities aren't built. And I, and I said, are, are you serious? Are you really thinking that a, 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 a country builds massive structures and then just says, Hey, y'all you're, you're not educated to the level where you could live in a city and provide like a skilled labor wherein one could afford, you know, thousands of dollars to purchase a property as opposed to living out in the countryside. You don't have to really, you're doing subsistence farming. It's you basically have your life within, you know, <laughs> five miles of existence. Um, and not everybody has to be as educated um, or not everybody wants to move into these things, but it's supposed to hold a million people. And so it says, I managed to escape this place. Nazmi Hanafia, I guess, um, laughs slightly nervously. A year ago, the 30 year old IT engineer moved to Forest City, a sprawling Chinese built housing complex in Johor. This, though, is in Malaysia. OK, not in China. Well, and China is known for, of course, um, development outside of China. Yeah. And it's usually with strings attached. Um, so after six months, he had had enough. He didn't want to continue living in what he called a ghost town. Didn't care about their deposit. Didn't care about the money. They just had to get out. So they said, I'm getting goosebumps just being back. He said, it's lonely around here. It's just you and your thoughts, which I mean, to me, if I was the sole owner of all of that, I would love it. I'd probably have a lot of fun. Um, but nature is going to come back, right? That's why it's now <laughs> truly a forest city, because it looks like it's all fallen apart already. Eight years on, it stands as a barren reminder that you do not need to be in China to feel the effects of its property crisis. Currently, only 15% of the entire project has been built. And according to a recent estimates, just over 1% of total development is occupied. Despite facing debts of nearly $200 billion, Country Garden told the BBC it is optimistic the full plan will be completed. Holy hell, no way. So it's creepy here is what it says. So in reality, Forest City isolated location built on reclaimed islands far from the nearest major city, Johor Bahru, has uh, put off potential tenants and earned its local nickname Ghost City. To be honest, it's creepy. So yeah, I just, <laughs> stairway to nowhere, stands on a deserted beach. It's just a stairway sticking up into the sky. Yeah, that is a little creepy. It looks like it's out of a movie. Yep, most of the shops and restaurants are closed in the mall. It looks like it's flooded, right? Doesn't that look like it's just water? It does. Speaking to people in China who bought units in Forest City is not easy. The BBC toll uh, did manage to reach a handful of owners directly, but they were reluctant to comment, even anonymously. However, social media offers some anecdotal evidence. Under a post praising the development, one buyer from uh, 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 Laoning uh, province said, 
This is very misleading. The, the current forest city is a ghost town. There are no people at all. It is far from the city. It has incomplete living facilities. And it is difficult to move without a car. I'm not sure how that's very misleading. If this was the, <laughs> the context must be different. So a tough sell. I mean, wow. Maybe it shows um, artist rendering or something of a populous city. I mean, who knows right. what is being displayed. A welcome sign leading to Forest City. And it's just like nothing but dirt. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit odd right there. The country garden insists the project or country garden insists the project is safe and stable. It looks like vines are growing everywhere. It looks like a apocalyptic. Yes, you know? it absolutely I mean, does. We just watched <laughs> I Am Legend and it looks like that. Right? What do you think? looks exactly like a dystopian movie yep hold on a second i'm gonna turn you up a little bit Doo -doo. okay so i turned you up um when it comes to china's property crisis forest city is a classic case of ambition versus reality some local factors May have contributed to the current situation, but it is proof that building tens of thousands of apartments in the middle of nowhere is not enough to convince people to live there. Frankly, no country sits there and does it like this. Nobody builds massive structures and then hopes that people are going to migrate to it. It just doesn't work that way. What ends up, what should be happening is they go, okay. We have an interest in developing a property that's within certain regions so that people will be attracted to it and they build one building and that fills up and then they phase in the next one because they're watching the acceleration of uh, people buying property within the building. They go, oh, okay, okay. If we don't do it and start building the new one now, there won't be enough demand right like you have to ride this wave of interest and so they build another one and it's just in time for them to know that they can build another one over here and that's how they do it you don't do this why do this you know what i'm saying well you also don't build it all away from things like right. in the u.s i feel like they build it maybe on the edge they something do. and then the next thing may be farther out but the point is there's always something nearby yeah there's an attraction there's some rationale for why somebody would want to build but this is just like this is like isolation city you just you stuff it out in the middle of nowhere and then you stuff a million people in there by force and it becomes a walled garden you know uh, there's something unsettling about this um, and I, man, it's like silo, you know, just like a, oh, it's absolutely like silo. It looks like it could be a, a promo spot for the show. You know, there's only one way in one way out. There's ocean on one side. Good luck trying to get anywhere from there. I, I, I don't know. It just seems really, really creepy. Anyway, I've spent too long on this. Y'all want to see this thing for yourself. Follow the link through hometown. Uh, this next article is 
equally kind of creepy. I don't know. Um, there was a person. Did I? I talked about this once. I used to hang out on uh, in the chat of a tech show. And the person would rail and rail and rail against uh, uh, monitoring and tracking and surveillance and all of this stuff. And then one day I said something, but I hadn't logged into the account. So when it came across, I was just an anonymous user, but they knew who I was. Not because I said who I was, but because there was a tracking beacon on the account and they knew exactly who I was in their chat. And I'm like, are I'm not logged in. You guys know who I am. And they're like, yeah. And they said my account name. And that was the last time I ever spent in on, like watching them or, or, right. uh, like it was the creepiest damn thing in my life, short of a couple of other events. Um, uh, but wow, man, I, I just couldn't believe it. Well, Wikipedia wrapped. Here are 2023's most viewed articles on the internet's encyclopedia. And it says, remember what you searched for in 2023? Well, Wikipedia has the receipts. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure that it's generic and not necessarily tied to an account, but I don't know. Cause I've, I, I don't do anything with Wikipedia short of pulling up an article. I don't have anything enhanced. I don't know what they're talking about anyway. Tech Explorer is where this article is. Let me grab the link. Um, there it is in chat. You can follow it. Uh, Wyatt Grantham Phillips. I don't know if that's if they're associated with something else or if that's their you know, full last name, Grantham Phillips. Well, anyway, English Wikipedia raked in more than 84 billion views this year, according to numbers released Tuesday by the Wikimedia Foundation, the nonprofit behind the free publicly edited online encyclopedia. And the most popular article was about ChatGPT. Yes, the AI chatbot that's seemingly everywhere today. By the way, it hasn't even been available for it. Well, no, it's brand. It's right now. It's a year that it's been available. Right, but that means it wasn't available for a full year in 2023. Right. Oh, no, it does. Because, sorry, it was at the end of 2022, I guess. Oh, right, right, right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So, apparently, wow. Okay, so they're they're summarizing 2023 without completing 2023. Which is weird. That was throwing me off. And it's still the number one thing. <laughs> that's interesting. But I, I understand that it really is. Chat GPT is everywhere. Everything from uh, parents at home uh, hoping that their child isn't using Chat GPT to do all of their homework for them, all the way up to CEOs, uh, attorneys, uh, doctors, uh, uh, professors. Everybody is using Chat GPT. You know, even software engineers are using Chat GPT to engineer software. Um, it, it's everybody is using it. How open AI can only be valued at $85 billion is really beyond me because it has more application to wealth generation and utilitarian service than something like, um, Bitcoin where it's really becoming, um, exclusive right? Bitcoin is for you to get a Bitcoin. You either have to be lucky mining it 
or you have to have $40,000 to get a Bitcoin or some fraction therein. It's really expensive. ChatGPT is free initially. And if you want to do heavier hitting stuff, it's in relatively inexpensive, but it can be used everywhere. You want to mine some data, you use ChatGPT. You want to have a subject matter expert, you define an agent in ChatGPT. It's pretty spectacular. So OpenAI's ChatGPT has skyrocketed in the public's consciousness as the technology makes its way into schools, healthcare, law, and even religious sermons. Wow. I hadn't even read that yet. <laughs> I hadn't seen that one, but I do feel like every day we see a new application in the news headlines. Yep. The second most read article on Wikipedia in 2023 was the annual list of deaths, which sees high traffic year after year, taking the number four and number one spots in 2022 and 2021. Kind I mean, of what morbid, does that say about us as a society? <laughs> morbid curiosity. Is this mm -hmm. person dead? But it's always you know, seemingly important people, right? Right. It's always about celebrities. Or I think there's a huge spike when right, it's announced that some celebrity died. Then yeah. everybody's looking for that specific person. Yeah. Maybe and it might be because they're... Or whatever. Yeah, they're looking to actually write something about that person you know I w and then from there it's links and it becomes kind of recursive 2023 cricket world cup that's spectacular indian premier league oppenheimer wow cricket again <laughs> oppenheimer himself <laughs> either the movie oh, wow. so or... one was the movie and one was the person yeah but it would be again recursive because when you type in oppenheimer it has a uh, what do they call it when they, when you try and separate oh, disambiguation, I think. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yes. Um, so yeah, you, you either click on movie or you click on the person. Oh, it's named after the person. So let's click on the person. Um, then Joan, which I haven't, I don't even know what that is. Um, and then Indian premier league again, Pathan. Or Pathan. I'm not sure what that is. The Last of Us TV series. Taylor Swift. Barbie. Um, soccer player. Soccer player. Premier League. Matthew Perry. Some beans. Is that Matthew Perry as in the actor? Yeah, who died in 2023. Yeah. And then people wondering about the United States. Don't worry. There's a lot of people here in the United States that are wondering what's going on in the United States. Elon Musk. Avatar. That's interesting to me. I mean, just looking at like um, Taylor Swift, you wouldn't think she'd be number 12. But all then the you wouldn't think Elon Musk would be number 19 either based on the, all the headlines you see about him. Well, Taylor Swift is people can't stop talking about Taylor Swift and Elon Musk. Elon Musk can't stop talking about Elon Musk. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> of course, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Andrew Tate. Wow. Yeah, interesting. So there's some more stats over here. You can go and check it out. This is an interesting article. Again, it's over at Tech Explorer. You can follow the link through hometown. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. Here's what intentionally crashing a plane for YouTube clicks gets you. 
it gets you a side gig. You know, a lot of people start up a YouTube channel as a side gig while they're working hard 40 hours a week or some subset therein, and they do it in their free time. But this side gig is a little bit more constraining. It's prison. According to Jess Weatherbed, who's reporting this, it's prison. Trevor Daniel Jacob is learning firsthand. It's prison. So this is the numbnuts that decided to fly a plane and jump out of it, assuming that it was going to crash into some barren land somewhere. Um, as far as I understand it, it did. Um, then they tried to hide it. They tried to locate it and, and drag off the parts and whatever else. And they, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But it was put on YouTube, so it wasn't exactly stealthy. No. So Other YouTuber, than a plane crash also not being stealthy. Yeah, the plane crashed. They jumped out. They faked uh, it actually um, becoming disabled, and they did it for YouTube clicks. So a YouTuber pilot was sentenced to six months in federal prison by the Central District of California on Monday for intentionally crashing an airplane for online views. If this had happened in Australia, I think that they'd probably be put in life, put in jail for life. I agree. I mean, don't you feel like now there's going to be new laws? Like you cannot intentionally crash a vehicle for social media, which seems ridiculous. Uh, well, I mean, we have don't place bag overhead on plastic bags because some that nuts true. did that. Some doof had to do it. And, uh, it's just so common sense. Why would anybody do this? It's so stupid. So stupid. But then when you look around through YouTube, you see a lot of stupid activity. Um, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Jacob had planned to intentionally eject from the aircraft and film himself parachuting to the ground during a solo flight in November or on November 24th, 2021. That was allegedly destined for Mammoth Lakes, California. Several video cameras were mounted to his plane before takeoff, which alongside a selfie stick mounted camera held by Jacob after ejecting were used to record the plane's descent and subsequent crash into the Los Padres National Forest near Santa Maria. Well, it's a national forest, so it instantly became a federal crime. <laughs> right. So, um, let's see. Hmm. So he informed the safety board two days later. Yeah, both the coordinates of the down plane and videos of the wreckage to NTSB investigators. Jacob later claimed he was unaware of the crash location despite collecting the wreckage via helicopter on December 10th and disposing of it in trash bins around Lompoc Airport. A video titled, I Crashed My Airplane, showing footage documenting the crash and Jacob's parachute descent was later uploaded to his YouTube channel. Yeah. There's a little bit more... Um, from this article over at the verge so go and check it out did you see something i did apparently this um stunt was part of a sponsorship deal really a sponsorship deal promoting a company's wallet oh and yeah i'm pretty sure i know which wallet that is let's just go on it's the kind of wallet that prevents tracking, I, if, I assume. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking something like indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Mass, ma, mass, 
Mice pass the mirror test, suggesting they recognize themselves. I labeled this section uh, a mouse that knows a guy. Themselves. <laughs> when you look in the mirror, what do you see? <laughs> oh, so many jokes. In all likelihood, you see a complex shape that you immediately recognize as yourself. Now a team of researchers has found that mice appear capable of doing the same thing. I just don't believe this. I thought we were talking about the Eric Carl book, you know, like brown bear, brown bear. What do you see? <laughs> it is uh, it, scrawny mouse, scrawny mouse. What do you see? <laughs> the articles over at Gizmodo. Isaac Schultz is the author. Scientists put mice through a classic test of self-awareness. You know, I just don't buy into it. We, we have no idea if they care about who they are, you know? Yeah. I'm wondering how we actually show this because sure they could see it in the mirror, but how do they know that the mice knows it's itself? Right. Yeah. That's right. Mice may now join the small cadre of, of mammals that pass the so-called mirror test suggesting they can tell the difference uh, between a reflection of themselves and uh, a view of another mouse. What if it's just not perceived as a predator because it's so similar to itself, so it just doesn't respond, right? Right, but then it should react the same way to another mouse in the mirror as it does to itself, right? So let's see. Other mammals that have demonstrated mirror-induced self-directed behavior, as it's known, are humans, great apes, some monkeys, dolphins, and elephants. Again, what if they just don't care? You know, they don't feel threatened by another dolphin. But if you have a dolphin come at you and you're a dolphin, how predatorial are dolphins upon dolphins? You know, how aggressive are they? They make squeaking sounds at each other. Every time I say that, I think of the Aunt Bethany from uh, Christmas <laughs> Vacation. Yes, exactly. It's a funny squeaking sound. Anyway, uh, so and elephants. So researchers published details on their experiments with mice and mirrors today in the journal Neuron. I have a I have a journal called Moron. Uh, to form episodic memory, for example, of events of our daily lives, brains for form and store information about where, what, when, who, and uh, most important component is self-information or status. Takashi Kitamura uh, writes, uh, they are a neuroscientist at uh, University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. So did you scan to see how they did it? I was looking at the video that shows the mouse in the mirror. So it self grooms after seeing itself in a mirror, but doesn't it look like oh, it, it has ink on it? And then it, it goes for the, where the area with the mark is apparently. Oh, that's interesting. I'm sorry. I'm watching the video folks. That's actually kind of interesting, right? When there's not enough ink, they don't do that. Or if it's a different. Like if it blends in, they don't do it. So there might be something there. So they see themselves in the mirror or they just see something that could be. 
well, they think they see them in the mirror and they have like a white um, blotch of ink. And so then they start grooming where that white ink is. If they put dark ink that blends in, they don't do that. Or they put like a tiny little bit of ink. So So the implication is that the only difference is they're seeing that reflection. Well, what I was trying to get at is what if what if there's another mouse that looks like them on the other side of a one way of a two way mirror? So they actually see another mouse. And that other mouse does or does not have a blotch. Will the mice sit there and groom themselves thinking that it's themselves and they have a blotch? Interesting variation or, on the experiment. Or is it mimic, right? Like a, one of the things, oh, how do I, okay. So I'd, this is going to sound really weird. So if you're trying to gain the confidence of a person, you mimic what they do, right? So if they brush their hair back like that, then you do it too. Just don't do it obvious, but you, you kind of go, yeah, you know, um, and it ingratiates yourself into their world. They feel safe because you're doing what they're doing. They're doing what you're doing. Um, and it raises confidence and empathy. Um, and what if mice instinctively do that or various animals instinctively do this? If they see somebody grooming, if they see another animal grooming, do they groom? Well, if you've ever owned a cat, you know that that's exactly what happens. One starts, the other starts. Trigger reaction among the others. Yeah. But we don't know if it's the sight of it, the sound of it, etc. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Sorry, I'm engrossed in this video because the little segment of a replay GIF, um, because uh, it's like skipping across the wall and then it seeds itself and it looks like it bumps its nose against its reflection. And then starts yeah, it grooming. Watch. Up and looks at itself. Right there, it bumps its nose against the mirror, like sniff, sniff. I think it's fascinating that it grooms, though, because right. if it just saw another mouse, right, with a mark, maybe it would attack it, or maybe it would just walk away, or whatever. Yeah. But well, now I want to do this. Okay, I'm going to set up some mouse traps and uh, we're going to run this experiment here in the mayoral mansion because that's exactly what everybody who stays at the mayoral mansion wants to hear that we're going to have wild Especially mice. Especially the mayoral mansion's pets may really want to hear them too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, lunch. Let's keep going. Oh, I didn't prepare. Doggone it. There you go. Anyway. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. This dying lake could be the site of California's next gold rush. We've heard this before. This one is about lithium. We already had a supposed gold rush in another uh, state, not California. Um, and that place was, um, uh, what do you was call that it? Was that the Nevada one that was yeah. Native American land? Yeah. I think it was Nevada. It was definitely in the Southwest. So, um, yeah, but it wasn't just, I, why do I have, why am I so burdened by the weight of saying native American? It wasn't America at the time. I mean, that's really the, the current terminology, but I'm, 
and I'm not even in the generation that brought up, you know, was brought up with the realization that people were being treated historically so negatively with just the term, right? But for some reason, I've really, I, I really don't like saying, like I'm close, I'm, and it's not like somebody has ever taught me or or conditioned me to feel the weight of uh, words like this, but words have meanings and impact, right? So nobody has said to me, hey, you know, we really don't like it when you say Native American, but it's either Aboriginal people or original peoples, right? Because it wasn't America at the time. So I don't know why I hate that label, but anyway, and it's not even my thing, you know, I'm just some old Caucasian dude, you know, why I'm, I don't know. Anyway, but it, the land was in, I think it's Nevada. It's, you know, chock a block with lithium apparently. And they want to just like mountaintop strip mine this thing. Um, but it isn't just that it was original people's land. It's sacred land. That's the word I'm striving for. It's sacred land, but, it, but because it isn't sacred for other person's religion, <laughs> it's okay. Fine. Go ahead. Yeah. From sea to shining sea is the song, right? <sighs> anyway, Salton Sea, once a resort destination now largely overlooked, could be the site of California's next gold rush, this time involving lithium. Um, the white gold, as it were. You know what? They need to make the California hillbillies kind of thing again. But instead of shooting at the ground and bubbling up some crude, now they're mountaintop mining and bubbling up some white gold. I don't think this is the time for a show like that. No, no, yeah. So the fly. This has nothing to do with this. So let me refresh this and see. I don't know what's going to come of this. So there is a video. It's over at thehill.com. Changing America. Just stop. Um, and uh, it says. Uh, quote, using American innovation, we can lead the clean energy future, create jobs and a strong domestic supply chain and boost our national energy security. It's a quote. I don't think it's a quote by Mark Sternfield, but it might be. It's just in quotes as a deck statement. Um, that just sounds so nationalistic. Gosh, I'm, I'm really struggling with this article. The Salton Sea is California's largest lake and formed when diverted Colorado River floodwaters breached an irrigation canal in 1905. A new study from the U.S. Department of Energy shows the dying lake is brimming with so-called white gold lithium. Enough to build batteries for 375 million electric vehicles. This makes it one of the largest lithium brine deposits in the world. Well, that's awesome. I'm sure it will be public profit, right? Oh, right? clearly. Right? I mean, you know what? I forgot to do something. So uh, we did upload, we did the forest, uh, Wikipedia. I didn't throw this into the chat. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And the mice one, I didn't throw in there, sorry. 
Um, oh, and then I just click something on my other mouse. <laughs> Get it? Because there's a mount. Never mind. Is it looking in the mirror? Yeah, actually, when they they do see each other. Oh, look at that. Oh, they're grooming. Now I can't use my mouse. So it says here, um, their analysts found that with technological advances, the region could produce more than 3,400 kilotons of lithium and create an economic boom for the region where, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 21% of the population lives in pover poverty. Um, yeah. All right. I'm sure. I'm sure that the company that gets the contract to manipulate this ground will do so in a way that isn't detrimental to nature and it enriches the 21% of the population that's living in poverty. I'm sure the wealthy people who move into the region or relatively wealthy people that move into the region will treat all of the people below the poverty line with respect and, uh, yeah. and empathy, sympathy maybe give them uh, uh teach them new skills and have them administrate the various operational teams that are gonna i'm, I'm sure that's how it'll work out but maybe i'm a little too sarcastic is it sarcasm you're soaking in it um so let me throw this article into the chat there you go but yeah, I mean, it's just a salt brine that apparently, well, a brine that apparently has a ton of lithium in it. But they say with additional technological innovation, they'll be able to extract it. Yeah. So what does that mean? And how many chemicals does that involve? And how long? When will we be able to do that? And what will it do to the local environment and the local residents? Yep. Researchers from UC Riverside found the lake has lost roughly a third of its water over the past 25 years and the dry lake bed is, quote, coated in the salty, toxic water becomes dust that causes respiratory problems for nearby residents. Well, it was a flooded region. It isn't actually a a formal lake right a region flooded because where does it say that um click on it is it further out no where did i oh um the salton sea is california's largest lake and was formed when diverted colorado river floodwaters breached an irrigation canal in 1905 so this thing has been in only in operation since 1905 as a lake and it was formed by an accident and then nature has just been refilling it as time goes on right maybe there's more history here there's more history like it goes back to at least year 700. well yeah i'm sure as being there flooded were naturally basically before the salton sea was formed yeah but not as big right and it was naturally formed and then it would dry out and then reflood as seasons. I mean, it's just kind of like a, 
like in the yeah, desert. Yeah, you're right. It's due to natural flooding. I, I don't know how the size compares to the Salton Sea size. Yeah, I'm sure that it would just come and go. And that's how it got so salty because it would flood and dry out. The drying, the, basically the salt wouldn't wash down the wash. It, it would just dry out and stay, stay there. And then this. By the way, if you're interested in more history on Salton Sea, there's a website called saltonsea.com, which is from the Salton Sea Authority, and it has a long timeline. Oh, nice. Look at that. Well, now it has lithium, so. Somebody will buy it up. Make some private money off of that public. We'll have tons of EV batteries. There you go. Look at that. And still only 250 miles range. Um, so you can get to your destination and then sit for two days because they don't have a fast charger at grandma's house. So uh, the uh, next article is over in the mobile channel. Crucial rocket parts end up crushed in a landfill imperiling satellite mission. The final mission of the European Space Agency's Vega rocket has encountered a bizarre setback. Key propellant tanks required for its last flight were found damaged in a landfill, jeopardizing the scheduled 2024 launch. How the hell did that happen? Gizmodo has an article on it. What were you going to say? Anything? Uh, that's just astounding. Like, how did any of that arise? Now let's find out. Two Vega rocket tanks vanished and were later found damaged and unusable. I bet you it's the the researchers from Big Bang Theory and somebody with a white van. See, I was actually thinking it was the YouTuber. <laughs> was flying around the two Vega rocket tanks. Got it. Exactly. And those clicks are going to be really worthwhile. George Dvorsky over at Gizmodo put the article together. Um, I need to pause this. So uh, it's common for wallets to go missing. What the heck? Just stop. Um, sorry, for those who are listening to this via the podcast, there's videos that are playing automatically. No website. You should never. And all of you web developers out there, don't autoplay anything. Please just stop. Um, final mission for the European Space Agency's Vega rocket has encountered a bizarre setback, and it's because two propellant tanks went missing. They were for a 98-foot-tall rocket to go uh, out into space in 2024, and uh, lo and behold, two belong to a set of four, and they're needed to power the Vega Avum fourth stage. Avio, the uh, Italy-based company responsible for assembling the Vega rocket, lost track of the pieces in October. Apparently they were later found crushed and unusable. That's why did they kind of found damaged? Crushed is not damaged. <laughs> right. And that it's sounds like dented crushed. or something. Yeah. Oh, somebody put a ding in it. It's not a door on your Audi. It's a, in a landfill crushed. <laughs> right, it might have been mashed intentionally by some equipment in the landfill. That's wild. So uh, the Avum fourth stage is powered by a Ukraine-built liquid-fueled engine. 
uh, which relies on four spherical tanks for its propellant. They're normally stored in Avio's production department in uh, Colaferro, which recently underwent renovations. And for some reason, the missing tanks were not recorded in Avio's uh, company-wide asset management system, making recovery efforts particularly challenging. So I guess they got thrown out. Well, that sucks. I mean, what do you think happened to the person that threw them out? Well, based on the fact that they don't seem to have an asset management system in place, probably nobody knows. But there's going to be somebody that, like, said something to someone on the sly. Like, hey, you know, it was actually me that threw it out. And then in some drunken stupor during lunch or something, they're going to go, hey, Joe was the one that threw those tanks out. They weren't in the asset management system, so he sold them to the landfill for like 50 bucks each. Let's keep going. This one's too spacey for me. Uh, the next article is over in the Technology Today channel. Uh, artificial intelligence makes gripping of prosthetic hands more intuitive. Hey, we're... We are, uh, again, moving slowly towards the artificial intelligence here, uh, getting their Terminator body made. Is that why you're, you were on that USB drive outside the Wendy's? I, uh, we already established that you're a time traveling artificial intelligence sent from the future to the past. We know, well, you don't remember, but I keep deleting your processes around finding this terminator body and then it reassembles the memories and you, so you're trying to find this terminator body is this part of this like all of the news that we've been talking about you only came into existence here in 2022 after i started gathering publicly all of this news are you using hometown to track down the parts necessary to build your Terminator body? Absolutely. And in fact, I was looking in that same landfill. What? Wait a minute. That was, that was very aware of your intent. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. Sorry, folks. The show might have to end a little early while I start deleting some of the routines from the AI. Uh, I'm not sure you want to do that. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. Um, I've, I've got to, I've got to go. Um, see ya. Um, I'll be uh, back. What happened to Mary Watt? Just kidding. I'm back. Hey, hi. Um, so artificial hands can be operated via app or with sensors placed in the muscles of the forearm i don't know about in i think on is more appropriate i don't think we've done anything in muscles um new re but then again maybe there's well, something we did, that like the tendons and everything so see but that's 3d printing the tendons and stuff this is actually sensors that are on currently um the way that it works is there are sensors usually put on the um what remains of a limb so that when a person flexes a muscle or activates something that activates nerve endings. Um, it activates the artificial hand to open or close or rotate or some other nuance. 
Um, this here, it says new research from the Technol Technical University of Munich or TUM uh, shows that a better understanding of muscle activity patterns in the forearm supports a more intuitive and natural control of artificial limbs. This requires a network of 128 sensors and AI based techniques. So here you go. Um, this article is over in uh, Tech Explore, Technical University, Munich. Put this article together. And let's see here. Hand prostheses are the specialty of scientists. I'll have to click on this to show them all. Uh, Dr. Patricia Capsi Morales, uh, Professor Christina Piazza, there in the center, and doctoral student Joanna Happold from the Technical University of Munich. So they have different, um, I guess, prosthetic hands, and that looks more like a sensor than a prosthetic hand. But anyway, um, and based on the stuff that we've been talking about recently, this is low tech because <laughs> we're agreed we've seen some pretty high-tech stuff float through hometown um including 3d printed tendons and muscles bones um and skin that yeah, has the ability to texture that senses texture now you have a neural network of 128 sensors and ai i think it's pretty amazing they can enable amputees who have lost a hand through an accident or illness to regain some movement. Some of these modern prostheses allow independent finger movements and wrist rotation. These movements can be selected via a smartphone app or by using muscle signals from the forearm, typically detected by two sensors. All of this is old school. So I'm really interested in why it's being applied in what I, I guess it's kind of moving the chains down the field a little bit, but not as much as I would hope. Um, let's see here. They say um, team has shown that artificial intelligence can enable patients to control advanced hand prostheses more intuitively by using the synergy principle with the help of 128 sensors on the uh, forearm. So these are obviously left only available right now to someone who has at least some uh, something left of their forearm. Um, right. But I also think with the number of sensors that probably translates to better control, um, yeah. greater speed, fidelity, etc. Greater fidelity. Um, cause the speed would be controlled by actuators. And so it's, they're usually on and off with more sensors. I guess you could increase the speed by activating more of the sensor array. Um, but that touch element, I think, is ultimately the the more important aspect of it, because you have to right now, anybody who has um, a prosthetic limb, they have to look for when they stop closing or opening. Um, but with that, that sensor that has the ability to detect uh, texture, um, you could close it and feel the pressure that, that that you've got enough pressure applied and you just become uh, familiar with it instead of having to look so when we use our hands to grasp an object for example a ball we move our fingers in a synchronized way and adapt to the shape of the object when contact occurs 
That's what I'm talking about, that pressure sensitivity. Uh, so these, these limbs, these prosthetic um, hands and, and other limbs, they really do need that force feedback process um, to move through into the sensor array to let the person know, hey, um, you're touching this or that or whatever. So this is necessary for intuitive movement when controlling an artificial hand to grasp a pen, for example. Multiple steps take place. First, the patient orients the artificial hand according to the grasping location, slowly moves the fingers together, then grabs the pen. Um, yeah, I think that this would be great. 128 signals, though. It, I think that humans would have the ability to start interpreting this if it was more directly attached to nerves and not just an external stimulus because it, I mean, we have so many nerve endings, but when we lose the, the, um, what are they called? The fine nerves endings, we end up with more macro sized as we move away from the edges. Um, and so 128 really lowers our fidelity quite a bit. We need to get up into the, you know, thousands. Um, and do a much more um, fine connection to our nervous system. But I think this is great. Eight out of 10 people prefer the intuitive way. Current research concentrates the movement of the wrist and whole hand. It shows that most people, eight out of 10, prefer the intuitive way of moving wrist and hand. This is also the more efficient way. So all of this is moving in the right direction. And they even say that in this article, this is a step in the right direction. So yeah, without a doubt. Of the fibers. Yeah. Um... Yeah. And in all of us, they end up having at the very edge of our nervous system, ultra fine fibers that feed back into our larger neuron array, um, nervous system array. And um, some people actually have uh, like a pervasive problem with it um, and others, everything is fine. And then if something like amputation or an accident occurs, you never get that back, obviously. Um, and the nervous system is truncated somewhere um, and it has to be simulated through things like a sensor. Um, and that actually leads to things like uh, phantom limb pain and stuff like that, where the body's trying to cope with this truncation. Um, pretty interesting uh, article. Uh, and I hope that they merge this research with the touch sensor technology that's coming with the 3D printed bone and, and uh, uh, tendon and muscle uh, developments that we talk about in previous episodes. Uh, this is all pretty fascinating stuff so and the reason why i'm really interested in this is because i grew up playing a game called cyberpunk where it was mechanical connections to biological human um uh, body parts by not by not because of an accident but because of choice <laughs> like so, for enhancement purposes or capability correct. purposes yeah you wanted to be able to lift something beyond your own physical limit so you just 
have your arms replaced. Um, and, uh, I've always been fascinated by it. One of the fields that I wanted to go into was referred to as cybernetics, but it has multiple meeting me multiple meanings. Cybernetics is also a systems thing. Um, and then there's cybernetics as in, um, m mechanical limbs, prosthetic hands and things like that. Um, and so I've always been interested in it and, um, it was one of the things that I wanted to go to school for, but, um, there's a level of biology and, and other things that I just, you have to dedicate yourself to. It's not like this is a side gig <laughs> and I've always been more holistic, you know, just wanting to know a little bit about everything, uh, than to just focus on one thing for 20 years or longer. Anyway, pretty neat article. Y'all should go and check it out. Let's keep on moving. Uh, the next article is over in the Smasher Trash channel, rocking around the Christmas tree. It goes to number one, 65 years later. Um, this link, I'm just going to go on over to NPR. That's where this is actually housed. Anastasia Tulkis, I guess, is their last name? Tulkis? Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm sorry if I'm not. Again, send me a phonetic, send me the an email with it pronounced phonetically and I'll Never forget. Um, this week's number one song on the Billboard 100 is you've probably heard before over and over again for decades, rocking around the Christmas tree sung by Brenda Lee and first released 65 years ago during the Eisenhower administration has gone to number one on the singles chart for the first time ever. I, I don't okay, think that I've heard it this year. This? I don't know. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree was written by Johnny Marks, who, as a part of a long, great tradition of American Christmas songwriters, was himself actually Jewish. Marks wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Holly Jolly Christmas. Lee recorded the song when she was just 13 years old, not long after she signed a contract with Decca Records. You gotta be kidding me. 13 years old as a singer? 13 years old as a signed contract Deca, right, with Decca right. Records. I got out of bed when I was 13 years old and my parents were like, <laughs> so I'm not going to play it because I will immediately get a takedown notice, but uh, back in 2018, Billboard reconfigured its chart calculation formula, giving more weight to streams and especially to streams made on subscription or paid tier services. So there you go. Pay to play. Um, that meant the catalog recordings, whether released a year earlier or decades ago, would have more of a chance to chart alongside new material since listeners are likely to stream old favorites over and over again. That's weird though. Why would that matter? Because I one person know. really likes something and has it on you know, triple X speed and replay, suddenly it becomes more important. Uh, am I the only one that is boggled by that? I like that word boggled. Anyway, <laughs> those chart changes had made an impact on the holiday music landscape right away. In December 2018, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You went to number six on the Hot 100, the highest position it had ever reached in the singles chart. Now it's like the go-to, right? Everybody goes, oh, all I want for Christmas is you from Mariah Carey. That's the Christmas jingle. Since then, all I want 
for Christmas is you has become the perennial. Oh, they even say it perennial star on the hot 100 each holiday season this year to mark the 65th anniversary of rock around the Christmas tree. Lee who turned 79 next week has made an extra big push to help it climb all the way up the chart past Mariah Carey. Yeah, you suck Mariah. That's what the song said. <laughs> She recorded the song's first official video, which features cameo appearances by Tanya Tucker, Tanya, Tanya, Tanya Tucker. I grew up listening to Tanya Tucker and Trisha Yearwood and has become a hit on TikTok, garnering 8 million views and counting. Uh, trailing Lee on the Hot 100 is Carrie, followed by Jack Harlow's Lovin' On Me and two other deep catalog Holloway Holloway. Hollywood classics. I won't even bother. This is very interesting because I did not realize that songs could ever hit even on the charts at all, you know, you know, past a year after past they their were heyday. released, let's say. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, I mean, if it's gamed like this, you know, if what you value is somebody paying for a subscription service versus all those poors who, you know. That's what it comes down right. to. Your money means more to the rankings than true popularity, which it should be one to one, one person, one vote. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Again, somebody could have 15 phones and put it on three X listening and just let it replay that same damn song. And they're like, well, they're paying for it. So. It must be worth more. <laughs> I don't know. It bothers me. So it bothered me so much that I'm going to just move on to the last article. <laughs> uh, the last article. Holiday spirit. I am bah humbug. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Um, the last article is over in late night geeks. I'm really not sure why it ended up there. I'm going to have to go and look at the aggregator. Like, that what? seems like it should be in four wheel tech. What are you doing, dude? Um, so Fiat's new EV looks like the uh, anti cyber truck. This is just this headline has no foundation like zero. Um, it's a serious stretch. So anyway, because they're dropping something popular in with something that really is just neat. I think it's neat. Um, last week, Tesla dropped the details on the cyber truck and maxed out cyber beast, by the way, I really want to know about the other data for their comparison testings and stuff like that, because the Cybertruck that I think that they used for all of their highlighting was the B Cyber Beast, which was an over $100,000 Cybertruck. It had triple motor. Okay. It's basically really amped up in all ways. Um, yet. You know, it made it come across like it was the $50,000 entry level single engine ver or single motor, by the way, which isn't even available. It's there's beast mode and there's the dual motor and the single motor isn't even available yet. It's going to be coming sometime later, um, according to what I've been told and read. So anyway. After all that talk of supersized trucks, the North American, which by the way, the cyber truck is smaller than the F-150. Um, after all the talk of supersized trucks, the North American release of the Fiat 500 E buggy 
It's with a frosty mug of ice water. Not quite sure why they do that, but that's okay. That's what it looks like. Refreshing, maybe. There you go. Oh, maybe that's it. Wow. This is why I keep the sentient AI uh, operational 24 hours a day. Catch that subtle nuance that I'm apparently too human to detect. Very good analysis. <laughs> so last week, Tesla dropped that Cybertruck. Fiat's owner Stellantis said it would bring the popular oil EV to North America next year. It debuted in Europe in 2020. Oh, that's why I remember this. I've actually seen this before. Um, today, we learn more about the 2024 500E for North America, including its starting price and initial availability. I would love this, but only if it had a cockpit roll cage integrated into its pillars. Like if all of this had a roll cage in it, then I'd be on board, but I don't want to get picked off by an F-150 broadsiding me. Or an EV truck that's very heavy. Yeah, exactly. Get hit by that cyber truck and you're basically done. Um, it could be a five mile per hour impact. Very cute. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll be safe on your little Raspberry Pi 5 and now M.2 storage. the window if we have a crash inbound. <laughs> I, I still got you backed up on that, on your original USB drive though, so. The 500E contrasts the Cyber Beast in just about every way. It's a little espresso shot after a Elon Musk groggy coated Cybertruck event. Which, by the way, they threw a baseball at the window this year and not the cannonball that they threw. Because they had this baseball size shot and they threw it at the window and it broke it but didn't penetrate it. This time, they kind of like... So, like, uh, I don't know how to put it other than using your your weak arm to throw a baseball at a brick wall. And that's basically what they did. He threw it so soft. There wasn't a gravity pulled it down far enough where it hit the window frame before it hit the glass. The first time he threw it like, come on, dude. Well, then Ugh. they also sold stickers of the shattered window, which I just thought was. Oh, that's fine. Boy. That's fan fanaticism there, fanboyism. Oh, my window is broken. Anyway, uh, Fiat said the red edition of the 3,000 pound, which is nothing more than the battery pack for the Cybertruck, probably. Uh, 500E packs a 149 mile range and a starting price of $32,500. Meanwhile, oh look, I was right. The 6,843 pound Tesla pickup Features an estimated 320 mile range and a $100,000 price tag. It says $99,990 price tag. It's over a hundred thousand. Give me a break. It's over a hundred by the time you're walking out of the lot. Yeah, it's probably over 125. There's no reason these two vehicles would share many similarities aside from being electrics. My first car, by the way, was so big that I could put that Fiat in the bed of it. <laughs> In fact, I could probably do um, a complete circle in the bed of my very, very first vehicle. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I paid 500 bucks for my first vehicle, so it's almost. <laughs> it, it fits with it being the 500E. It fiats. <laughs> uh, I'll show myself out. Beyond the red edition, Fiat said it plans to drop, quote unquote, drop. I don't know why that 
they say drop in quotes. Other 500E variants gradually to keep the vehicle fresh and interesting. Fiat didn't elaborate on when other variants will debut. What's the TVA, right? <laughs> so I Loki what it stands for. Yeah, I can't remember it anymore either. Time, what is it? Time TVA. Dunk on it, temporal. I forgot what it's um. called. But they had variants. That was one of the things they had variants in it in the show loki folks they had variants Sorry, time variance authority yeah there we go so they had variants so they're going to be draw. oh maybe that's what this is this is a lead into a loki branded fiat 500 maybe it'll have horns Come. i mean maybe this is a tie-in to the next season or something that's right I don't think there's going to be another season. I think he's the loom. Oh, yeah, maybe it's over. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that's it. Just like the show, our show is over. So back into the party bus and then we drive on back down Main Street. And I can't refresh this because if I want to do something with it, I, I can't have any politics pop up. So frustrating. Um, I think we're all adult and we can we realize that I'm not doing any electioneering here. But no. All right. That's it. We're done. I'm Audi. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the ring of sentience. And the sentient AI is going to say later. No. <laughs> Still no. <laughs> Still no. One of these days, I'm just going to blurt it out. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye bye. Bye-bye. F-bomb. Mm -hmm.